Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Although, Kieran, I feel somewhat shamefaced as a Palace fan using the words beautiful game after sitting through that yesterday. But you still get three points at the end of it, Kieran, so obviously I'm a big man and I hope you get your three points today. That's very kind of you, Kevin. Thank you it so is, much. Yeah, uh, yeah I'd, I was challenged on Twitter to be polite and mature about this sort of thing rather than childish. So there you go. Although we're, we're trying to run through this, so you get you finish it in time to sit down and watch the game, So which is why I'm slowing down. Uh, <laughs> you can do me a favour. Yeah, so if anybody listening wonders why Kieran's answering the questions really quickly. Um, we do, we've got some good questions, Kieran, but we do have some big news stories to discuss first. And one day, Kieran, it will just be questions. On a Sunday morning, I'll just turn up and say, any news? And you'll go, no, all good. And we'll, just have, <laughs> we'll just have 20 questions about amortisation and that'll be, that'll be lovely. But um, it's very much not all good for Football Index, a story that we were riding the coattails of last week, but out of nowhere, it's gone from naught to 100, hasn't it? Yes, uh, sadly, things have deteriorated o- over the course of the week. Um I, I got a phone call from uh, somebody who I trust on Wednesday to say football index is going into administration in the yeah. next 24 hours. Yeah. I was going, oh, OK. Um, so I, I immediately nipped onto the football index website and lo and behold, they were still taking new punters money. Wow. So, wow. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, they knew that there were problems. So under those circumstances, if they'd had any integrity whatsoever, yeah. they would have said, right, we we're. We're not taking new people's money. We're going to try to get sort things out. And sadly, I think it was on Thursday, the uh, the uh, the organisation went into administration. Um, it, it looks as if there's uh, losses of around about £90 million, which are going to be borne by by the punters. Um, however, you and I, and I do feel that people have been... Uh, I mean, it, it, that they've been misrepresented to a certain extent. Uh, it is a gambling site. It, it does say it's, uh, it's it's legislated, it's regulated by the the Jersey gambling authorities and the UK gambling authorities. But when you when you market yourself as a stock market for football players, when you describe gamblers as traders, and mm. when you describe betting winnings as dividends, it you, you're 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 playing with people's mindsets. Yeah. And that's something uh, I've felt uncomfortable with. And also, uh, you know, as somebody that, that knows a little bit about the stock exchange, uh, the reason why dividends are paid out by companies is because they produce goods and services. Uh, you know, football Index doesn't own these football players, so how it can claim to pay out dividends on them is, is beyond me. Um, we've got two clubs who have front-of-shirt sponsorship deals yeah. in the championship in the, in the form of Queen's Park Rangers and Forest. I believe that those deals have now been suspended or curtailed. Um, I presume the clubs have received the money um, from from the deals, but we don't know. Uh, so so that, that's where we are at present. Um, you, you've got to feel sorry for, for the people who have put money in in, in good faith. Um, it, it is gambling at the end of the day. It does come with risk, as does the stock market, to be fair. You know, the stock market is, is a form of glorified gambling, um, except it's, it's, it's based on slightly more fundamental things than a glorified form of fantasy football. 
So how have they come to lose 90 million quid? Is it because the people gambling or the people buying the players actually knew, knew more about football than perhaps Football Index thought they would do? No, not not really, because the way that these dividends were organised, I think they paid something like a, a 30 pence dividend per share per player that performed well. And there was a limit because it, because there only could be a, only one winner or one or two winners in each category per week uh, in terms of the players. Then, then then it should automatically have been been OK. Um, Football Index made its money um, by the looks of things on on the margins, a bit like the likes of Betfair in the sense that you, know, you can buy a player for, for £9.50 and, and sell him for £9.70. And every time there's a transaction, uh, Football Index took a, a 1% or a 2% commission. Right. So that's that's how they were making their money. Um, so therefore, I think you've got to look at your cost base. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so you know, what are the costs? Well, you know, they had ambassadors for the product. So we know that you know, Motti was an ambassador. He was regularly going on to uh, you know, radio shows and so on and extolling the virtues. They had a big marketing campaign. That's money going out. The sponsorship deals with QPR and Forest. You know, I would presume that those are six figures each. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we, we're never quite sure, but you know, I, I would imagine you're probably looking you know, the, the thick end of half a million pounds each for those. And, and all of these things add up. Then, then you've got the cost of running the platform. Um, so it, it looks as if they they weren't able to control costs. Growth wasn't perhaps as fast as they had anticipated and it all went uh, it all went wrong. And finally, do do the I don't know how many people have accounts with them, but do those people now become creditors? Yes. Now, in theory, um, there should be an element of protection here. Um, the, the the people who have accounts with Football Index, they will have two types of uh, reference to the company. First of all, they will have a cash account. So, uh, you know, if, if, if you've put in a thousand pounds into Football Index and you've invested nine hundred and fifty on players, in theory, you've therefore got fifty pounds of cash. Now, you know, my gut reaction is that you should get all of that back because um, I, th- there should be some form of protection from the gambling authorities. But you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not involved on the legal side of things. Mm. And then, in terms of the value of the players that you own, in inverted commas. Um, when when the administrators, who are the same administrators who are operating at Wigan Athletic, so so we know how much that's going to cost, mm. um, when, when they finish their investigations, um, and in theory, if they can sell the business as a going concern, and that and that is in that is in the best interests of everybody, because mm. um, that that will get the highest price, then uh, some form of payout should be available to all unsecured creditors, but. I'm not hopeful that that's going to be significant. Well, so I'm, I know they've had a lot of free publicity this week for the first time ever, but whoever buys that company is going to it's going to take a long, long time to rebuild the confidence of anybody actually putting money into it, isn't it? As a as a gambler. Yes, yes, it, it, it was one of those things which spread by word of mouth. Uh, if, if you if you listen to people that were involved, they 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 genuinely initially really enjoyed it right. and then football index had a had a habit of 
changing the terms and conditions. So initially, if I wanted to sell a thousand shares in Bruno Fernandez, I would be there would be a price, and and if no, and if no other people involved in football and none of the other of the traders wanted to buy, then then Football Index would effectively buy the shares from me. That uh, that particular relationship stopped. It, you then had to go and find somebody who actually wanted to buy the player. So so that reduced liquidity in the market, and there were a number of other changes in terms of the small print and. Mm. It, it does appear that uh, the the relative ease at which football index are able to to change the rules and move the goalposts to, to, you know, to use an inappropriate uh, phrase really um, did helped help nobody apart from themselves. Mm. Our second news story, Kieran, of two involves two big big clubs, Manchester United and Everton, but a big big contrast in their owners' attitude to finance this week. Yes, um, and, and the first one uh, actually relates to the real stock, the real stock market, mm. Mm. Um, and Manchester United. Um, I, I think we'd, we'd spoken recently that Manchester United share price had been zipping up. It, it was at its highest for for twelve months, uh, and it hit twenty dollars in the market. Um, and um, lo and behold, Avram Glazer, one of the uh, one, one of the children of uh, Malcolm Glazer, who who was really behind the acquisition of the company in two thousand and five, um, he announced that he was selling five million shares at nineteen dollars twenty five. So that's going to bring him personally uh, around about seventy million quid um, from from the sale of these. Uh, so that actually had the impact of knocking the share price down ten percent, uh, which was uh, which was disappointing for other shareholders, of course, but. Uh, it does show that there, there is a lot of money to be made from football. And now the the money made by the Glazers from various uh, share sales and so on exceeds the money that they put into the club uh, in 2005. And of course, they still own 75% of the club. Mm. Um, the other thing that Avran Glazer appeared to do is that the, the shares that the Glazers own each have 10 votes when it comes to making decisions. And the and the and the shares that the ordinary Joes, you know, if you or I decided to buy some shares in the club, it's only one share, one vote. Mm. Uh, but as part of his deal, um, as soon as he sells the shares, the the voting rights immediately decrease from ten down to one, which means that his uh, his siblings still keep that iron grip that they have over the club. I, I don't quite understand. The fact that the club's value went down on the stock exchange, was that inevitably going to happen once Avram Blazer announced he was going to sell the shares? And if so, why would he do something that would affect the club in the stock exchange in the first place, apart from personal financial gain? Um, well, I, I think you've, you've answered the question there. I mean, you know, his, his focus is, is on his own uh, personal financial situation. And, you know, you know there's, there's always a time when, we, when we're in urgently in need of 70 million quid. Um, so because the, because the 22 million pounds a year that Manchester United yeah. pay out in dividends isn't enough for the kids. Um, so that, that, that is the case. I mean, uh, share prices are determined by supply and demand. So if you put an extra 5 million shares into the market, yeah, the the natural forces of economics are going to uh, result in in a price drop, and mm. and the price dropped initially by twelve percent following the announcement 
uh, by Avram Glaze. It, it did it did creep up a wee bit after that, but uh, yeah, it, in interesting times, and and that that very much contrasts with with Everton, mm. who are our other club in the northwest. Um, and, and this was something which which came through from my uh, company's house feed on on uh, on the last forty eight hours or so. Your grass, um, you call him what he is, Kieran. Your grass at company's house. That's, <laughs> my snitch. Your yes. snitch. At company's <laughs> home, yeah. um, and, and here you, you couldn't have a more uh, opposite approach. Um, Farhad Mashiri, who is the uh, majority shareholder in the club. He's he's bought a load of new shares um, and and they're one pound shares, but he's paying three thousand pounds each. So you know, he's saying, oh, yeah, let, let, let's forget the niceties. Um, so as a result, uh, Everton are going to get immediately a uh, hundred million pounds of extra cash as a result of this share issue. And he's written off a hundred million pounds of debt as well by saying, um, I, I, you, you no longer have to repay me. Instead, just, just give me these these worth, you know, these relatively worthless pieces of paper in the form of shares. Um, and looking at the small print, uh, the, the Everton constitution, because um, all, all companies have to have their own constitutions. Mm. These are called articles of association. Um, this allows him to uh, buy a further 100 million pounds worth of shares. So you know, from Everton's point of view, uh, it, it's it's got a lot more cash. Uh, clearly, some of that will be allocated to the uh, ongoing developments with regards to the new stadium. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the questions we've asked and everybody's asked is, fantastic looking new stadium, got to be funded from somewhere. And it does look like Mr. Mashiri is putting his hand into his pocket. Uh, and that contrasts with what we've seen at Old Trafford, where uh, the, the Manchester United owners under Project Big Picture we're going to get a fund set up by the whole of the Premier League, i.e. Crystal Palace, Burnley, um, Aston Villa, uh, that they that they would be the organisations that were, would be funding uh, changes to, to club grounds, i.e. effectively subsidising the Glazers uh, when, when Old Trafford got expanded more. You could have mentioned Brighton in that list of Premier League clubs, Kieran. You're, you're still there for the moment. <laughs> Let's move for on. the moment, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking forward, Kevin, to the uh, XG Champions League 21-22, whilst playing Barnsley. What that really? It, what, what's your XG? Is it 700 a game? Is it? <laughs> it's, it's something ridiculous. Because I, I know Palace is, is, is something like one every nine. I'm not entirely sure it works, but I think we're expected to score one goal every nine games, and you're expected to score <laughs> 700 in every game. Um, let's move on to questions, Kieran. Uh, Pausing only to say that uh, I think even producer Guy would struggle if I said I urgently need 70 million quid just till the weekend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, I'll give it back to you on Monday, Kieran. It'll be fine. Um, our first question comes from Danny Kerrigan, and you'll like this, Kieran, because it's a devious accountancy-based question. <laughs> um, uh, and Danny, Danny Kerrigan's corkscrew mind says, is it possible to structure a contract between a player and a club whereby the player takes a much reduced salary in agreement for a higher agent's fee, but where the player is the sole shareholder of the agency and can therefore benefit from tax efficiencies. Is there any rule to prevent that? Uh, absolutely not. And, and in fact, we, we do see 
broadly similar things taking place with regards to players and their image rights contracts. So mm. you know, whether you give it to a, a company which you own, which is set up as an agency or a company which you own, which is set up as an image rights company, um, the advantage of doing that is they pay tax at a lower rate. You know, if, if a player earns money, he's going to be paying you know, tax at 45% and national insurance, all this type of stuff. Um, whereas the image rights company will be paying tax at, uh, at 19% and it can delay or it can pay that money to the player's spouse or other relatives or or friends or whatever. So, uh, yes, this, this is one way of uh, redistributing the, the player's overall remuneration package. What I would say with regard to this is HMRC do have a, a team uh, of... Uh, of sleuths who who think that the the football industry uh, has been a bit fast and loose historically in, mm. in terms of its taxation obligations. So, if you look at the small print of club accounts, and, and I know somebody that does that, um, <laughs> then then you will somebody, see in quite a few of them. <laughs> yeah. Then you will see in quite a few of them say there are ongoing discussions with HMRC with regards to issues to do with players' remuneration and that of agents. So. Uh, it, it is. It's a good idea by Danny. It, it, it's. It is something which clubs effectively, no, not clubs, players have been keen to uh, arrange historically. Yeah, though one of my happiest memories of the first few weeks of the podcast, Kieran, is you telling me that that crack team of HMR sleuths, uh, HMR sleuths, you talked about, consisted of two people, and as far as you knew, one of them was on long-term sick leave. Yes. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Now, do you, do you know, Kieran? We we love each and every one of our tens of thousands of listeners, but they seem obsessed with asking you what you would do if you had imaginary money. Um, I, I'm, and I'm always happy to ask this question just to see if the answer is different. But David Holiday uh, said, if Kieran had 100 million pounds to invest in a League Two club that he believed was a sleeping giant, which would be on his list and why? Which is, of course, a purely academic question for you and I, Kieran, but David should probably ask producer Guy, who... <laughs> I know he's 70 million quid worse off now. He's lent me it till the weekend, but he's still got a lot of money to... to now, I've written, I've written a club down here, Kieran. I'm going to see oh. I'm going to see whether you and I have gone for this. In true kind of uh, pointless style, when Richard Osmond and Alexander Armstrong engage in... Truly pointless badinage. I've written, I've written, I've written something down. You can tell you can tell which of us has not got anything to do during the day. Um, so yeah. So which which league two club would you go for, Kieran? Uh, well, I, I initially narrowed it down to four: Bradford oh, yeah. City, Tranmere Rovers, Leighton Orient, and Exeter City. Oh, really? Not one of them is on my. Is, I've, I've already, I'm out already. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I mean, for me, Bradford City's got a, a, a decent sized ground. It's it's uh, it's got a good catchment area. Uh, you know, Yorkshire is a is a is a hotbed of football, so I think those are pluses. I think Tranmere could really have a hipster factor for me. Yeah, um, you, you love Tranmere, don't you? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I know Mark and Nicola who, yeah. who run the club, and we yeah. you know, we've had people from them uh, on, on the show as well. You know, it's it's. Uh, it, it's a really well-run community club, mm. and I think it could do something on on the back of the Merseyside factor. Leighton Orient, yeah, it, it's in London, and there's 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 disaffected disaffected fans from other clubs who I think Perfect. might go along. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I I looked at Exeter and I thought it's it, I, I know that Exeter is is partially a rugby city, 
But uh, I, I do feel that it's it's got a lot of potential growth if you put the money into it, and and the and the 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 fan base are used to traveling, so I, I think they that that would be one as well. But so so those were my four. But you have something, you have an alternative. I was one hundred percent convinced you'd say Salford City. I I I I thought about Salford City, but. They, they, they've got an awful lot to compete against. That was that was my. Uh, you know, you, you've, right. got, you've got you've got you've got the two existing clubs in London. Uh, sorry, two existing clubs in Manchester. Yeah. Um, then then you've got FC United of Manchester themselves uh, as 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 an alternative to those two clubs. Um, so, Salford's uh, and and, you know, and hats off to Salford. You know they've won their first trophy um, yeah. in in the. Uh, in, in the course of the weekends, but uh, I, I just didn't feel that there's room for another largish club in, in Manchester. And also, a hundred million pounds doesn't get you very far when you think that not too far from Manchester, we've got Bolton Wanderers, whose owner Eddie Davis effectively wrote off a hundred and seventy-five million mm. when he was in charge of the club, and and they they're now back in in League Two, although. They're showing some improvements in form and could be bouncing back up again. Traditionally, St. Patrick's Day is for pubs, not pubes. But Manscaped is the global leader for below-the-waist grooming and they sponsored this show to ensure you have the best tools for your ball trimming experience. If you plan on getting lucky this St. Patrick's Day, then you may as well use code PRICEOFFOOTBALL at manscaped.com for 20% off and free international shipping. And you're in luck because the Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Included in this new package is the Weed Whacker, which is an ear and nose hair trimmer. And it's waterproof and uses a 9,000 revolutions per minute motor. It's powered 360 degrees rotary dual blade system. And I have no idea what that means. However, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Why not use the best tools for the job here? Now, this bundle includes the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, the best trimmer on the market for your balls, butt and body. You'll feel confidence shaving your thunder down under. And you can also get festive and safely shave a shamrock in your pubes. Though, if you are doing a shamrock and it's already green down there, I'd recommend getting some penicillin too. Do you know, if my poor departed mother, God rest her soul, knew that I was using St. Patrick's Day to encourage people to buy a pube shaving device, she'd be she'd be having serious words with all of us. <laughs> like, of course you need to shamrock in your pubes on St. Patrick's Day. It's, it's virtually one of the only things you can do to celebrate at this moment. And you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. There's gold at the end of the rainbow with Manscaped. I'm disappointed you didn't say Salford City, Kieran, but I'm also kind of pleased that even this far into our relationship, we can still surprise each other. That's <laughs> uh, nice. Uh, Tom Metcalf. Tom Metcalf's question is an interesting one. The council recently bought Yeovil Town Stadium. Is that unusual? And is it a silly risk or a sound investment? Um, well, 
I, I asked Tom Jones this, Kevin, and he said it's not unusual. <laughs> <laughs> just for that, okay, I'm going to draw this podcast out so you missed the first. <laughs> and as we know, Brighton will have would have been expected to score 14 goals in the first five minutes. Of that game. It'd be brilliant if one if one game you did actually score the expected goals you were meant to score. <laughs> we wouldn't know what to do. Because as soon as the match finishes, we we just go on to WhatsApp groups to go, fucking XG, fucking XG. <laughs> yeah, also, match of the day two, I'll have to add an extra hour on because there's 97 goals going on. <laughs> yeah. um, so, um, Yeovil Town. Yes. Um, the council decided last December to, to approve the acquisition of Huish Park. Is it Huish or Huish? I, I, well, I thought it was Huish. But... I was at Huish Park. Um, and 11 hectares of land surrounding the ground, which I think is, is probably, that that's probably just as important. Um, the reason for this was Yeovil Town Football Club lost £665,000 in 2019. So that's mm. pre-pandemic. Um, and, and they've had a bit of a, a an up and down history. I mean, I, I can remember Yeovil playing us in the championship at the Amex Stadium. So that wasn't that many years ago. Mm. Um, and, and since that, since they then dropped out you know, and, and back into the National League. So so they're finding things tough. Um, th- this was an act of support as far as some people on Yeovil Town Council were concerned for a much cherished local uh, part of the community. Um, other councillors felt that it's risky, that, that there is, you know, if, if you're losing that amount of money, there's always the fear of, of administration. What happens if, uh, if if the club can't continue? Will the council be in a position to either uh, set up a, an alternative football club or will it be able to sell the stadium? So, so there, are, there is a lot of risk from the council's point of view. So it is, it is a fairly rare occurrence. Mm. Um, the, the councillors in favour of it, of the decision, have also said that you know, we've done similar for retail parks in, 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 the, in the vicinity. So this is no different. But uh, it is different with the retail park because they're open 365 days a year mm-hmm. as opposed to 25 days a year for a football club. So, uh, you know, you, you wish them all, all the best. You know, ha- having been to Yeovil for an away match, it was a fantastic day out. Uh, one of those... One of those classic matches where the train journey to and from the match <laughs> brings back memories and tales which cannot be told on, on a family show such as this, um, or even a non-family show. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, and, and that's all due to the fact we've got this hook of going to football matches. Um, so, you know, I, I hope that things improve financially and that there's a good relationship with the council. I mean, the council would be fair to them have said that the first year of ownership will be rent free, which which is great in a way. But, you know, there will be council taxpayers and there will be people in, in Somerset who are not fans of football saying, well, what, what return are we getting uh, in terms of this relationship? Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry... 
or you're an aspiring musician, manager, or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Hmm. I'm just I'm just pausing here for a second again, Kieran. So I've got my list, which is it's got Moscow at the top, and then Blackpool nightclub. Um, I'm just going to add train to Yeovil at the bottom <laughs> of it. Um, our next question comes from Kev Matchett. Now, Kev, come on, Kev, please. How can I constantly tell Kieran and Guy to please, for the love of God, call me Kevin, when you're willy nilly sending questions in, calling yourself Kev? Right, even when my dad started calling me Kev. Now, since Mum died, he wouldn't have dared when she was still alive. God bless her. Um, Apologies, Kev, if you were christened that, by the way. Um, I feel I should apologise as well. This is a question about Derby County, but it's not the usual question about Derby County. It's it's coming at Derby from an oblique angle, uh, so you'll be you can rest easy. And Kev's Kevin's question: uh, Derby County recently announced a permanent end to match day programmes and launched a monthly magazine instead saying that declining sales make them unprofitable. Is this a popular trend? Do any clubs still make a profit from programmes? And even more poignantly, says Kev, has the bottom dropped out of the value of my collection in the loft, 1960 to 2010, if any dealers are listening? Well, let's deal with the most important thing, uh, Kev. Your your collection has not suffered deterioration in value. Oh, Uh, Because that's done on a scarcity factor. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that will not have changed as a result of decisions. Um, it, it's it's actually quite a, a poignant uh, thing to say because on Thursday, uh, and, and this is coming from my uh, my program editor chum, Uncle Ian Hines, um, he, he told me that uh, Southampton uh, announced that they're scrapping uh, producing programmes for the rest of the season. Mm. So it's happening not just in the championship, but in the... Uh, in the Premier League, and apparently there has been a lot of wet anoraks <laughs> in, in Hampshire. Right. Um, so, um, you know, they, they've said that, that, that demand has collapsed because ultimately most people buy programmes as a walk-up product. Yes, Clearly, if you cannot attend fans. Yeah. Um, but I think there, there, there's a much broader issue. In 2018, clubs in the EFL voted to no longer make production of a match day program mandatory and made it optional. And Stevenage became the first club to, to opt out. Hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a genuine challenge for program editors to come up with original content hmm. to make it worthy of being read. Because if you're, if you're involved in a program, we, 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 wrote, we both wrote articles, well, you know, combined article, didn't we, for the, for the Brighton versus Palace Mm-hmm. program a couple of weeks ago and we had to have it in a week before the match took place yeah in, yeah. in, in a world in which we're now operating there will have been half a dozen uh, pressers from the manager um there'll be lots of stuff out there on social media um but there are still clubs um producing some really good stuff out there um you know and, and my mate ian says you know and uh, he says the Palace program has always been excellent, and they have a feature this season called Kit or Miss, looking back at old seasons. And I think for those of us that that have that sort of nostalgia impact, uh, affection for the game, uh, reading articles of this nature, I think can uh, maintain interest in programs. But it, it's a bit like national and regional newspapers; you know, it is going digital. Mm. Um, we're seeing Manchester City. 
they are only producing physical programs when they think that the opposition warrants it. Mm. So you know, they'll do it if, they, if they've got a Champions League match against Barcelona because they will know that people will want a memento or if they're, or if they're playing United or Liverpool because people will say, well, oh yeah, we, yeah, we beat Liverpool 5-0, 5-1 and you know, this, this, was, this was the programme on the day. But uh, so it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a sign of the times, unfortunately, that we're moving away from programmes um, you know, and I can remember going to, to you know, my my first trips to the Goldstone in 1973 and buying one and then trying to get mm. players' autographs afterwards yeah, course, and things yeah. of that nature. Um, and and it was it was always good. I mean, I, you know, and, you know, I used to love collecting players' autographs mm. uh, until uh, I, I went to see Sussex play the Australian cricket team um, and. Jeff Thompson and Dennis Lilly were absolutely fantastic, mm. and, uh, and and so was Rodney Marsh. And, and these people were absolute heroes to me. I was what, yeah, about fourteen at the mm. time. Um, and then I went up to Greg Chapel, the vice captain, and I said, "Cover your autograph, please, sir." And I had a picture of him and so on. And he turned around to me and says, "You've got no chance of getting my autograph, Sonny. So you might as well go home and play with yourself." Which, which was a day of discovery, well, yeah. a day that changed my life in many ways. I, I, I feel Greg Chappell should be informed of what a life-changing comment he made to you. That's right. <laughs> Your life took a whole new direction. It's um, it, it it's a sad question that Kev's asked. I mean, as I recall, Kev could probably confirm this. I'm sure that Derby, I'm sure I remember going there, they had a, a, a programme that was like a newspaper, I mean, it's a bit. I don't. My my contention is, Kieran, that no football fan has ever read a program from cover to cover. It's occasionally on a really long away journey. If your mates have fallen asleep, you might delve into the whole program. But for the most part, you don't. My godson does because he loves all the numbers and the figures and the stats. But I think it would be a really genuinely sad day for football if you can't if you can't buy a program. I used I always used to buy one for superstition purposes. I had to go in the right way up in my right back pocket uh, until I was late for a game once, didn't buy a programme, maybe won 3 0. So I realised it. <laughs> it was actually buying the programme that held me back. Um, uh, is that Finley coming through there? They're thinking about it. Oh, okay. Um, now, our next question comes from Dimitar Shopov. Uh, and Dimitar has a question about Alan Pardew's move to CSKA Sofia, uh, which is Dimitar's team. I believe, Dimitar, it's pronounced Seskia Sofia. Uh, please tell me if I've got that right, as I'll be very proud of myself. Uh, Dimitar says, do you have any information about Alan Pardew's move to Bulgaria and what it means behind the scenes? Dimitar suggests that the Seskia president has close ties to English football through Watford, and this may be a step towards more collaboration. An interesting move for Alan Pardew, and I would love to have seen his face when he found out that Sophia was actually a city. <laughs> um, yes, uh, the the reason why uh, Seskia have recruited uh, Alan Pardew as director of football is... Uh, the last, I think it's the last nine seasons, uh, a new force has arisen in Bulgarian football called uh, Ludogorets. Apologies if, mm. I, if I pronounced that wrong. Um, and, and they've won the Bulgarian A-League um, in each of those seasons. So, you know, ph- phenomenal achievement. And on the back of that, of course, they got into UEFA competitions and they're, they're picking up money on a regular basis from participation in the uh, qualifying rounds for the Champions League as well as the Europa League, which gives them a, sub- a substantial financial advantage 
Um, Seskia want to build a new stadium. And according to um, sources in, in Bulgaria, um, they think that Alan Pardew can help here because uh, Palace are in the process of building a new stadium and he'll be able to use his knowledge of that, which, which I thought was a bit tenuous personally. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there have been a number of issues, I think it's the politest way of describing it, um, in relation to the, the governance of Bulgarian football um, in recent years. Um, a, a number of clubs, according to their accounts, have been paying the minimum, the national minimum wage to players. And then when you actually take a look at the amounts uh, actually given to them, they've been given sort of uh, 10,000, I think it's la- labour, uh, per match as uh, additional money. So th- there's, there's a lot of strange stuff taking place. Um, this this new this this club Ludogorets it's only got a, a stadium capacity of ten and a half thousand uh, and it's certainly been doing extremely well. So um, I, I think I think he's got a challenging job. Uh, Seskia are eleven points behind uh, Ludogorets as we stand. Uh, I think they've only got one game in hand. So uh, the 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 owner of the club wants Alan Pardew to to restore. Uh, CSKA to to former glories, uh, but it's it's going to be really challenging. Mm. Well, the good news is if they're building a new stand, I'll tell you what Alan Pardew could help with the glass, because rather pleasingly for an ex Palace player, he used to be a glazier. Oh wow! Uh, yes, uh, I remember Damien Delaney, uh, ex Palace player, of course, uh, who we sadly miss, telling me that they used to hate away trips because as they were driving through London, Alan Pardew would point at every building and say, "I'll put the glass in that." I put the glass in that. I know. And he said, he said, he said on one occasion, Damien Delaney had to say to him, "That's the shard." Dimitar, <laughs> um, uh, good luck with Alan Pardew, especially if you see him in a disco. Uh, <laughs> Richard Meller, because uh, he likes dancing. Kieran. Uh, <laughs> yes. Richard Meller, uh, good luck, guy. Richard Meller says, quite understandably, whenever you want to give an example of a small club in the Premier League that are doing well, Burnley usually get a mention. And Richard points out that the population of Burnley is 88,527, according to uh, a popular search engine. Has any team with a smaller population ever been in the Premier League? No, no. I've, I've been through the records of all 49 clubs who have appeared in the Premier League to date. Mm. Um, the closest to Burnley is Watford, who have an official uh, official population of 97,000. Even, I thought, yeah, places like Barnsley and Swindon, who potentially could have been uh, in, in contention, but those are substantially more. So you know, it, it's testament, I think, to, to Burnley's position within the uh, within the local society uh, that they are effectively getting you know, a, practically a quarter of the population are turning, them, turning out to watch them play. Uh, every fortnight, and also to uh, you know the, the, the amazing success of Sean Dyche, who mm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, as you know. I suppose the difficulty is when you look at some of the London clubs as well. It's it's like it's impossible to ascertain the population of Crystal Palace, for example, or Charlton, or or Millwall, isn't it? Really, because it's essentially you're talking about the whole of London. But when when you put it like that, because there are sometimes complaints about the size of Burnley's crowd, but when you talk about it as a proportion of the the size of the town. It's quite a remarkable job. You're right. Good question, Richard. Thank you. Uh, Patrick Fullerton, 
uh, says, I know this has been mentioned before. It's not the, not the best way to get your question answered, Patrick, I have to say. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, and it has been mentioned before, uh, Patrick, but not as specifically as you are about to do, which is why I'm asking the question. It's a good one, Patrick. Could Premier League clubs take ownership of streaming their own home games, either individually or centrally through a Premier League site? Uh, yes, they could. And all that this will take will be 14 votes. Uh, ultimately, this would be a decision which would be made by uh, Premier League chief executives or chairman um, at one of the regular meetings, which does take place. At present, the, uh, the Premier League has, as we know, a very good relationship with both Sky and BT and Amazon and, and BBC. But uh, it has been uh, it has been mentioned uh, more than once by a, a, a mutual acquaintance of us uh, of ours in the form of Sir Simon Jordan that mm. uh, the, the clubs should take some of this in house. Um, and, and I think what would happen initially is that the the Premier League would probably have the existing packages up for sale to the traditional broadcasters, but that only actually covers 200 matches out of the 380 in a season. And what it might choose to do at the same time is to make another you know, 30 or 40 matches available um, and it will cut its teeth because at present it's, it's a content provider as opposed mm. to being a broadcaster. And, and it, could learn, it could learn sort of some of the arts of broadcasting. And one of the things which I think, fans might not be familiar with or listeners might not be familiar with is the Premier League actually has their own broadcasting uh, activities mm. um, because if you go to South Africa or Indonesia you can watch Premier League TV and, and it's very it's very slick mm. you know, it, is, it is it is pretty impressive um, so this is something that they they will be considering it you know the plus side is it cuts out the middleman so therefore they get 100% of the profit the downside is you're not guaranteed the money that ultimately will be down on down to the fans to, to sign up for it. So, uh, but all that it needs is 14 votes. Okay. Our next question comes from Samuel wide. You hear that Kev Matchett? Samuel wide. Uh, Samuel was a Bristol Rovers fan uh, who always hopes for a cup draw against Bristol city, but he wonders how much are the additional costs incurred to police derby matches, um, which is a good question, Samuel. And also, well done for spelling Bristol City with asterisks and not eyes. It's a, that's the sort of attention to rival detail that I really, really appreciate. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, very good. Um, right to to answer Samuel's question, I sort of I, I looked at something which I thought would be broadly comparable, and. Um, if you take a look at the Sheffield derby, you know, Sheffield United versus Wednesday, in 2018, it cost £350,000 to police the two matches. So we're talking, you know, you know 175, 180 grand for an individual match. Um, the police aren't over happy about this, or some people in the police aren't over happy about this, because they only get to recover the uh, the additional costs uh, which relate to being on the property of the football club. So all mm. of the policing in the surrounding area comes from the overall police budget. Um, and, ah, and if we take okay. a look at the total cost of policing um, in in uh, in England and Wales, for the most recent figures, uh, according to Hansard, it was forty eight million pounds. 
so that that's come from local taxpayer funds uh, it, it, as opposed to the football industry itself. O- only only a, a, a very small proportion of that will be recovered. Mm. Okay, well, Kieran, we only have uh, three questions left. You'll be pleased to hear because it's twenty six minutes before kickoff. Um, and our next question comes from James Leader, and you'll you'll like this question, Kieran, because this is a proper proper old school accounting question. James Leadale says, I think I remember Kieran saying that profit or loss considered for financial fair play purposes is the parent company's profit or loss. Sounds like the sort of thing you would say, Kieran. Um, <laughs> uh, James, opening line in a, in, a, in a Sophia nightclub, I think you'll find that will be, Kevin. <laughs> Hard to say that while you're dancing, Kieran. Um, uh, James says, does this not open an opportunity for creative accounting or using profits of any of the owner's other companies to reduce the group's loss? Uh, is this what Man City and Citigroup exploited in UEFA's unsuccessful ban? Um, there are opportunities to bring in revenues from other parts of the organisation, but the the Premier League and the EFL both have it at their discretion that if they feel that a football club is trying to manipulate numbers um, through having, for example, Stoke City Football Club are owned by Bet365. Yeah. So if if Bet365 said to uh, the EFL, oh, by the way, uh, take a look at our accounts. You know, we've got uh, we've we've got total revenues of sixty five billion pounds, which is thirteen times the revenues of the Premier League. Mm. Um, then people go, well, clearly that's that's not right. Um, so th- there is there is scope. Um, you know, what do you do, for example, when we've got clubs such as uh, MK Dons, which has got a uh, it's got a Hilton Hotel embedded into the stadium. We've got Chelsea has got a hotel. You know, sh- should the hotel income um, be included? There's, I think it's a very good case for saying that it should do because it's it's part of the fabric of the club as such. Um, so that. Th- there are some strange things which take place. I think when it comes to the City Group, um, it is actually Manchester City. Uh, I think Manchester City Limited who are assessed. And the reason for that is that when you take a look at the City Group, we've got these clubs in New York City, Melbourne, Mumbai, uh, in Japan, Uruguay, you know, all, all over the world. Um, and I think there's something like now there's 12 or 13 of them. Um, and only one of them makes a profit each year, and that just happens to be Manchester City. So uh, therefore, okay. can you see it's? A, um, but you know the the cynics, and, I, and I'm not a cynic, Kevin. Oh, no. um, the cynics say um, the City Group can therefore park some of the costs of running the, the whole organisation into uh, Australia and, and, and the US where, where there isn't an equivalent of financial fair play. And in doing so, that reduces the cost base of Manchester City and therefore helps them to achieve compliance with financial fair play. But both the Premier League and uh, even even their good friends in UEFA seem to uh, be accepting of, of, the, of, of the present processes. So you know, one has to presume that uh, the cynics are wrong. Mm. Uh, our penultimate question, Kieran, comes from somebody who's only given us uh, his first name, uh, although thinking about it, he could be somebody very formal who's only given us his surname. Actually, <laughs> maybe we should go back to those days. I just want surnames, basically. Um, but I'm going I'm to say this name quite loudly to see if I can get the attention of your four-legged friend. <laughs> so, <laughs> this question comes from Finley. Finley. Anything? 
And if no, it, because you know, he's, he's he's found that there, there's the sun coming through one of the windows, and as, as soon as he finds a spot of sunlight in in the house, he, that's it. He, he just lies there and he won't move. Yeah, good lad. Um, I sometimes wonder, Kieran, whether this is the reason we're not winning the awards that we should. It's like people, the judging, the judging panel go, well, "It's quite a good pod," but for some reason, every now and again, they'll just shout a dog's name at random. <laughs> no, okay, we'll give it the Swiss ramble again then. Um, uh, Finley. <laughs> We really should be winning. There's only two financial f- football pods in the world, Kieran. We should be winning more things. We come in second a lot. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but we came third. That's what's disturbing. <laughs> um, uh, Finley's question is, Leeds United recently announced a sponsorship with Hisense for our family stand, which now has a large livery on the side. But as Elland Road is situated right next to a busy motorway, with a lot of passing traffic. Will Leeds be able to charge more than a team whose ground is in, not in such a prime advertising location? And, um, I think anybody who ever flew into Heathrow in the past few years, I'm sure would have been delighted to see the name of a rival airline, KLM, prominently displayed on the top of one of the stands at Brentford, which I always thought was brilliant advertising. But it, it, it is a very good question. If, if, you, if you've literally got hundreds of cars driving past every minute, can you charge more on that advertising site? You, you, you certainly can. I went on to billboard.com to uh, to do some research on this. This is on a Sunday morning. This, this, this is my life, Kevin. You've got the most confusing search history in the in the world. Haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> if, this was yeah. if this was Midsummer Murders, the scientists go, I'm baffled. I can't get any sort of pictures to what sort of man he is. I really can't. Well, let's go to yeah. com- company's house. We'll know. He seems to have been there more often than anybody else. Yeah, the the Baroness sometimes goes onto my uh, internet search history, and I, 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 I then I, I then get questioned. <laughs> Moving on, Kieran, to Leeds United and their deal with Hisense. Yes, um, in terms of the the determinants of of the price, um, first of all, it, it's the format. Is it going to be digital versus static? Yeah, there's lots of lots of technology involved in these these advertising um but most important is is location so i mean you you rightly mentioned brentford um if 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 you if you're driving down the m6 um you will go past Walsall's ground and that's got big billboards up there and, and they're worth a quite a fortune because you know the m6 busiest motorway in the country uh, apart from the m25 um and uh, therefore it it does add to the price um, then you've got to consider the demographic of, of the people you're aiming for, and finally the size of the of the of the advert itself. You know how big is the billboard, but but lo- but location by all accounts is is the most critical. Hmm. Interesting. Um, our final question comes from Villa Lagerstedt. Apologies if I haven't pronounced that correctly, Villa, and apologies as I've just compounded the error by pronouncing it slightly differently the second time. This <laughs> this is one of those questions, Kieran. It's one of the reasons I love. There are many reasons I love doing this pod. But this is one of those questions where it's you go. Why haven't I thought of that before? We've discussed this so many times, but that's a question I should have asked. Um, on the face of it, a very simple one, but a very clever one actually. And uh, <laughs> Veal's question is: That's a third attempt since Spurs and others have been able to borrow money for zero point five percent from the Bank of England. Would it be possible for them to invest that money on financial instruments which would get a higher return than 0.5% or will the loan come with strings attached? It never occurred to me in all the times we talked about this to ask whether Tottenham could just take that money and invest it somewhere else. Yeah, it's a, it's a cracker of a question. Um, 
if you take if you go to the covid corporate financing facility website mm. um i have been busy this morning um <laughs> Then, then you will find that, uh, that there are a significant amount of criteria right. that uh, you, have to, you have to satisfy, one of which is you've got to evidence that you will either have additional costs arising as a result of COVID compliance uh, and stroke, or you have suffered uh, a, a loss of revenue. Now, clearly, in, in the case of Spurs, that you know that they have done so. Uh, you know, they're 120 million pounds down the season in terms of lost ticket sales. So, um, the the purpose of the uh, of, of the CCFF loans is uh, is is that of revenue replacement, um, and it is not to be used for investment purposes. Yet, there will be monitoring if the uh, if the Bank of England auditors effectively take a look at the, the circumstances of Spurs and now they see that Spurs are buying uh, bonds, they are buying mm. equity mm. shares in, in other companies and things of this nature, um, they'll, they'll, they'll get hauled in um, and, and it would be uh, it, it, it would be a very awkward conversation for Daniel Levy. Not, not that he's, you know, he's, there's any uh, suggestion that he would do something of that nature anyway. Yeah, or indeed it would be him answering the questions is, would be my guess. Um, thank you so much to everybody who sent the question in for this week's pod if you wish to ask anything about football finance uh, any level of the game uh, email us on questions at priceoffootball.com and Kieran you now have 16 minutes to say goodbye and get your sofa ready and budge Finley out of the sunlight so you can watch the game in peace as usual folks thanks for the feedback thanks for the reviews thanks for the questions if you're enjoying the show Press the the purple follow button on Apple uh, Podcast app or Spotify or whatever. Uh, and if you could leave us a review, a five star review, according to producer guy, it makes a positive difference when he's trying to negotiate with uh, guests for the show and advertisers and all that stuff. So, so thanks very much and stay safe. You know, what? I think we might have blown our chances of getting Alan Pardew on next week. That's good. <laughs> He's been working on that interview for months, and now we're sorry about that, guy. Bye, everybody. Buy some football.